Um, and we're going um, we're gonna to launch into our Christmas series today. It's called It's Time. And I just was thinking about, uh, I love that we call it Christmas time. We don't call any other holiday, uh, you know, it's not Fourth of July time or Labor Day time, Memorial Day time. We don't say Valentine's Day time. We don't say that. We say Christmas time because Christmas time has this just power that kind of expands, doesn't it? There's so much to it. There's so much that we love about it. I mean, for me, it's food. I just, I, I just start thinking about food. And it's, it's friends, it's family, it's joy, it's hopefully all that stuff, but it's, it's more than that. Hopefully, what we enter into, and today we kind of start that entry into the season. What it, what it, what's so beautiful about Christmas time is Christmas time actually has the chance to change your life. Christmas time has the opportunity to change the arc of where you're going. And if we stop these few weeks and actually think about some things that could change who we are, let's, who knows what God would do? And that's what we want to start doing today. So these next weeks, we're going to talk about it's time. And it's time to really reflect on the things that we think God might do with us to change the people that we are and how we're interacting with the world around us. Today is no different, guys. I'm telling you, today, we're going to talk about a challenging one to start it off, right? Today's going to be a little kick in the butt for all of us. We're starting today with the idea, it is time, Christmas time is the time to forgive. And it, it's, it's time to actually, that, that, that person... That situation, that thing that has wounded us, it's time to move into some sort of forgiveness around that. Uh, we know you just come off of Thanksgiving and there's probably all kinds of strange family things that you've experienced. And maybe you're still processing some of that. Uh, Christmas time could be a time for family dysfunction and relationships that get bubbled up to the surface that are broken. And one of the funniest, forgive me, one of the funniest depictions of this I've ever seen is, uh, for those of you who know the old Seinfeld TV show, uh, you've got to let me show you this. So uh, in Seinfeld, there's a character named George, and his dad is just a crazy guy and didn't like Christmas. And so he invented his own holiday called Festivus, which is the holiday for the rest of us. That's right. Festivus, the holiday for the rest of us. And he's, uh, he made some traditions around Festivus, including this one. Check it out. Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You, Kruger, my son tells me your company stinks. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> you'll get yours in a minute. You couldn't smooth a silk sheet if you had a hot date with a babe. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, man, I just, that is so, uh, everybody under 30 is like, I don't get it. But I'm telling you, it's funny, you youngers. And I, I, I begged. Bill, I'm like, Bill, can we please just have a Festivus pole? You know, we've got these beautiful trees and we've got all this stuff. Can we put a Festivus pole up here? Because that was his thing. Instead of a tree, he wanted a pole. So maybe next year we'll have a Festivus pole up here. But so, some of us like watch that. I know it's hilarious, uh, the whole, you know, Costanza thing. Some of us, it kind of hits a little bit too true. Right? We, we kind of enter in the season and maybe some of us are dreading what's going to go down these next few weeks because you're kind of forced into a situation where you're going to have to be around some people where it's uncomfortable. 
and you're going to be in a situation where you, you, the anger and the bitterness around something that's happened in the past is going to boil up to the surface. Maybe, maybe it's not even with family. Maybe it's some friend. Right? I, I guarantee you, right, we could have a line up here. Everybody's been wronged in this room. And this season has a tendency to bring that up to the forefront. Here's an idea. What if, you guys, what if, what if this season wasn't just about all the stuff that it is? What if, what if this season was a time to forgive? What if you started to break free from the anger and the bitterness that's holding on to you? Guys, some of us, for sure, we're walking around in life and we've got chains on our ankles over something that's happened to us. Something that we carry so deeply. Something that like, it's even hard for you to go there right now as I'm talking about it. You've been wronged. What if, what if there was a miracle this season where we actually started to release that? It'd be incredible. The first Christmas has this embedded in it from the beginning. So you, you start reading the Christmas story from the very beginning. You see hurt, and you see the need for forgiveness from the very first pages of the Christmas story. Uh, I want to show you uh, from Matthew chapter 1, very beginning of the Christmas story. Look, I mean, even the first line around it, if you read into it a little bit, you get, okay, there was, this is hard, there's forgiveness necessary. Look, look what happened at the very beginning of the story of Jesus being born. It's Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, just stop for a second. Joseph's like, what? Come on, those of you who have been engaged or you have a boyfriend or you have a girlfriend or, you know, long ago you were once engaged, I'm sorry, but if you're person at that time whom you haven't slept with comes to you and says, hey, I got great news, I'm pregnant, and it's by God, and we're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to save the world. Um, No, no, you don't buy it, and neither did Joseph. The interesting thing about the story is when the angel showed up, and some of you guys know the story, the angel shows up, the angel didn't show up to both Mary and Joseph at the same time. That would have been a nice memo to both get. They didn't. She got it. He didn't. And now he is in a spot. Come on, those of you that have, we've been wronged. Don't just let the familiarity of this nice Christmas passage rob you of the, of the anger that Joseph must have had. I mean, to hear that must have been so painful. Uh, Joseph must have started thinking immediately about what he was going to do. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you know this, but during this time, Joseph, Joseph had a lot of options available to him. So this kind of thing was like zero tolerance in this culture around it. If, if this had happened, Joseph actually had the right to see her die through a legal process. Someone, a woman who, and this is just how this was back then, a woman who was caught in adultery, they literally would go through a process where they would be killed. She owes him her life. 
Joseph has the right to be angry. And for sure, he's thinking right now what he lost. He lost his future. He lost this woman that he thought loved him. He lost his respect in the community. He's embarrassed. There's a huge amount of loss that happens in this moment for Joseph. And it's a loss that he could have taken out on her. And and, and meanwhile, there's no angel showing up to Joseph. He's got to go through this process. Look what, look what happens in verse 19. This, this is amazing. If you, again, you've got to read this and slow down as you read this. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Somehow Joseph, amazing guy actually, somehow Joseph got to the space where instead of taking revenge on her, he was able to get to a place where he forgave her and he could look at her and say, you don't owe me anything. That's amazing. By the way, I think the angel doesn't show up to judge. The next passage you'll see, the angel shows up and clues Joseph in, which is great. But I think God's letting Joseph work through this process because isn't that just like God, to have us learn how to forgive in some sort of process? And that's exactly what's going on here. So it's, it's one thing to read about it in the Bible. That's nice. But man, how do you do that in real life with us, with a person that you're thinking about right now? I, I guarantee you what we could do right now, we could stop this, we could cue up one of these mics over here, and we could have a line of people lined up on the edge of the stage here, and you could come up one by one and tell the story about how someone's wronged you, and we would all be furious. We would like light torches and grab pitchforks and form a mob and be ready to go. And so as, as we talk about this, we got to enter into the reality of like, how do we actually do this? Because this is not easy, what we're talking about today, to forgive another person. Whew. So ironically, Jesus, who's in that womb at the time, is born, grows up, becomes a man, and has about as much to say about forgiveness as any human being who's ever walked. And in fact, more profound in my book. And so he says something uh, that I want to read to you today and tells a story that I think is going to help us down the path here. So he, Jesus is out one day, and he's teaching, and he's talking about how when somebody wrongs you, what you do. And his thing is, he's like, okay, the first thing you do is you actually just go and talk to that person. The second thing you do is if that doesn't work, you're going to involve other people. And so he goes through this whole process. This is Matthew chapter 18. Now, people are sitting there listening to this, and one of the guys who's sitting there listening to all this is his follower, Peter. So Peter's listening, and he's doing exactly what you're doing right now. He's not listening to this in a vacuum. He's processing this through the person that he's angry with. And so Peter then asks a question to Jesus as he's going through this process. Now, the question actually will help us understand how we as human beings understand forgiveness. It's going to be a little different than how Jesus sees forgiveness. Look at the question that Peter asked. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Should I forgive him seven times? Seven enough. You know what that, you know what it does? Peter's question, I can so relate to it. Peter's question tells us how we as humans see forgiveness. Like, okay, what's the cap? How many times do I have to do it until it's done? In other words, I think what he's saying is, 
how many times do I need to cut somebody else slack? How many times do I need to do somebody else a favor? He's looking at it through the lens of when I forgive somebody, I'm actually doing someone else a favor. That's how Peter sees forgiveness. That's how I see forgiveness. Not how Jesus sees forgiveness. Look at what Jesus says in return. Jesus says this. He says, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Now, I'm obsessed with football, so I know all factors of seven. And so seven times 70 is 490. I got to forgive somebody 490 times. Now, do you think Jesus meant get your clicker out and start counting, and when you hit 491, they're cut off? Is that what he meant? That's not what he meant. Jesus is making a point. You never stop forgiving. You don't count. You never stop. You just keep forgiving. Why? We're going to cut that much slack to people? Are you kidding me? Jesus, come on. You don't know what somebody else did to me. So he then tells a story. Just vintage Jesus, right? He, he makes this statement, and then he's going to launch into a story and man, listen to this. So I won't read you the story, but I'll tell it to you. What, what he tells, he tells a story about a king. And there's this king, and people owe him money. And one guy in particular owes him a lot of money. In fact, if you translate what it says, uh, it's, in today's dollars, it would be millions. Somebody owes the king millions of dollars. And so the guy comes, because the king calls the debt. The guy comes, and he starts begging, would you please forgive me? And the stakes are high because back then you don't file like chapter 11 or whatever bankruptcy. You don't file for bankruptcy back then. You know what happens if you can't pay off your debt? The person you owe the debt to actually has the right to sell you. You can be sold into slavery of some kind so that they can recoup some of their losses. That's the law. Harsh. So this guy's begging, please forgive me my money. Do not sell me. Do not sell my family. Please, please, please. I can't pay you back. The king listens to this and says, okay. Unbelievably generous. What a huge debt forgives this guy the debt. So the guy goes off now and lives happily ever after, right? Never is always nice to everybody he meets. It's not what happens. The guy leaves and he goes out and there's actually another person who owes him money. So he owed millions to the king. There's somebody who owes him what amounts to thousands is the translation. That guy, he calls the debt due on that guy. This guy comes, does the same thing. Please, would you forgive me? Please, don't throw me in jail. No, don't sell me. Don't, you know, my family, don't. You know what the guy does? He doesn't forgive him. The guy who had been forgiven by the king looks at the other guy and says, I'm sorry, but you owe me money. And he has him taken and thrown into jail. Well, the followers of the king, all these people kind of see what happens, and they actually go to the king, and they tell him what this guy did. And look at Jesus' words as he continues the story here. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. 
I guarantee you, Peter's like, I totally wish I hadn't asked him that question. Can you imagine Peter right now? He's just like, that was not a good idea to ask Jesus this. Isn't that, that's, those are strong words. You know what Jesus usually does? Jesus tells, usually, usually Jesus tells a story and it's like a grenade, right? He pops the top, drops the grenade and then just kind of steps back and lets people process it. He doesn't do that this time. He actually is gonna give us a word about it afterwards. And I'm, before we put it on the screen, I gotta tell you, I wish I could erase this line out of the Bible. To me, this is a terrifying thing that Jesus says. In fact, it's so terrifying. You guys thought I was going to draw on this today? I put it up here so I could hide while I read this passage. So this is so scary to me that I'm hanging out back here. All right, go ahead and put it up. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Chew on that one. Man, does that feel like a threat? Can you imagine? For those of us that have been wounded really deeply by somebody and when we read about the kind of betrayal that Joseph felt like had happened to him and you are processing this through the lens of some sort of betrayal that happened to you that may have cost you money or cost you friendship or cost you your marriage or cost you an unbelievable amount of time and energy or cost you your reputation. Like, there's a lot of things that, that we could add up, right, in the tally of things that we've lost. And so then to have Jesus say to us, you better forgive or else, that's why it doesn't strike me well, at least initially, it, I, that's, I'm like, okay, let me hide. How does that strike you? What do you do with that? Uh, here, here's a, let me pitch this way of maybe thinking about it. Um, a lot of us in the room are parents. Uh, hopefully most of us in this room have parents, uh, one or the other, right? So if I, if a, imagine a parent coming to a kid I've got a middle schooler and a high schooler, and I come to them, and I say to them, here's the deal. I swear, if I ever even remotely hear about you taking alcohol, drinking it, getting the keys to a car, and getting behind the wheel of a car, I swear to you, I will put you in your room, I will lock you in your room, and you will never, ever leave. Right? (laughs) By the way, if my kids are in the room, I'm serious about that. So... (laughs) Now, if I'm a kid, how do I hear that? I interpret that as a threat, right? That can be a pretty threatening way to say something. If I'm a parent, why do I say that? I do not want to see my kid injured. I don't want to see my kid die. I don't want to see my kid harm somebody else. The motivation behind Jesus' words, I think, are clear, actually. The way I think we interpret that passage is while we're looking at forgiveness like Peter does, Peter who says, oh, actually when I forgive you, I'm going to forgive you seven times because I'm doing you a favor. Jesus is looking at it going, you never stop forgiving. Why? Because it's actually about you. It's actually about the chains that are around your ankles. It's actually that you, my friend, if we can't move to a place where we can forgive someone, we're the ones who die. Forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness will kill us. 
guy named Andy Stanley has this great quote where he just says, to not forgive someone is to put your finger on the self-destruct button. Guys, not forgiving another human being ultimately isn't that you're avoiding a favor for them. You're killing yourself instead. Somehow, man, somehow in this, you see in this parable and you see in the life of Joseph, these guys walked down a road where they were able to actually look at what they had lost, which is so important to actually verbalize and say, here's how I've been wronged and here's what I've lost. I was actually, I had a um, lunch a couple of weeks ago with a therapist who's in our congregation. He's an amazing guy. I asked him, I said, you deal with this kind of stuff all the time. You're always counseling somebody, how do I need to forgive or get past something that's happened to you? What do you tell them? What's the first thing you tell them about how to forgive somebody else? And I didn't expect what he said. He said, the first thing you tell them is you have to identify what you lost. You have to verbalize what you lost. You have to say out loud, this is what happened to me. This is what I lost. My friendship, my family, my money, my time, my reputation, whatever it is. To actually get it out of your body and to identify what it is. And only then does he say, can you get to the next phase, which are the four most important words in forgiveness. The four most important words of forgiveness are to be able to look at somebody or to, if you even don't see them, to be able from a distance to, when you think about them, say these words, you don't owe me. You don't owe me. Man, sometimes we feel like we've got to muster up enough kind of like good feelings towards someone to get to that spot to say those four words. But man, those four words can actually be a choice. To be able to say to that person, you don't owe me. Profound. And the king, Jesus, has a right to say that because you see it in the story. That's what he did himself. He looked at this servant and said, you don't owe me. Joseph, amazing, got to a spot with Mary. You don't owe me. One of the uh, most profound ways I've seen this in my own life was a few years ago. I lived in California, and I was at a church out there as a pastor, and I, I came as a big church. I came in to the staff, tons of staff people, and what happened pretty soon after I was there is me and another person on the staff got into a pretty contentious disagreement, and it was a disagreement that... Uh, did not go away. It, it, was, it was revolved around how are we actually reaching people in ministry. And we just, we totally saw things on opposite sides of the spectrum. And so we were uh, very much in, not in alignment. And, this conti- and it got pretty hot. It got to a point where um, it started to become more personal too. And I, I'll be honest with you, during this whole process, I was thinking about what I was losing. I was mad at him because I felt like he was talking to other people behind my back about me, and I was angry about that. And so I felt like I was losing credibility. I felt like I was losing time and energy. I was, I was very angry at him. And so this got bad enough where the guy actually came in one day and quit, quit his job. And I'll be honest, I was relieved. I was glad. And all I was thinking about at the time was what I was losing. As time went on, I started thinking about what he lost. This guy, a uh, little background on him, 
he was actually part of the church long before he became a person on the staff there. So this was his family. These were like his closest friends. He was a guy, just like most of us who work in a church, he could have made a lot more money doing something else. But he chose to be a part of the church and the church staff because it was his passion and his mission and his love. And he sacrificed on that. And, and then on top of that, the staff people that he was working with really had become his tightest friends and family. When he stepped in and said, I am leaving this job, he lost so much more than I lost. And I can only imagine the anger and the bitterness that he must have felt toward me. The new guy who comes in out of town, all these ideas, blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine the sense of loss that he must have felt? Didn't talk to him for months after that. I was standing out in front of my house one day and just standing in the front. I think I was working in the garden or something. And this car rides, drives up, stops. And he pops out, we'll call him Joe. Joe starts to walk up my driveway, and I'm like this. You know, like, okay, is he here, here to fight? Joe walks up to me, and I see this, like, softness in his eyes. <laughs> Guys, I kid, I kid you not. He comes up to me, and he says, you know, Jesus has forgiven me, and you have um, harmed me. And I have felt this anger and bitterness toward you. But he looked at me in the eyes of tear. I'm sorry, I'm getting teared up now. <laughs> he looks at me and he says, but you don't owe me anything. And I forgive you. Man, I, I just, we like hugged and I cried and he cried and we just, amazing moment. I am convinced he, the hurt, did not go away in that moment for him. I don't think, I don't, I'm sure he still feels, hopefully over time, that hurt starts to go away some. But we know, come on guys, we know that there's some things that have happened to us in this room where the hurt actually never goes away totally. But somehow, he's able to look at me and say, you don't owe me. Amazing. You know what he did? He did this amazing choice. He made a choice to forgive. And like I said, I don't think that his hurt went away probably. But I'm guessing, and it did in me, I'm guessing what started to go away was his anger. The real thing that's holding on to your ankles, the chains that are holding you, is the anger and the bitterness. That's the thing Jesus is speaking against when he says, man, you've got to do this. And he did it. And I'm guessing that anger, that bitterness started to leave, maybe not the hurt. But you know what's incredible about this? When you forgive and the anger starts to move away, when you say you don't owe me, something far more powerful can actually happen. There's another word in the New Testament you see pop up a few times, especially in uh, the second letter to a church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You see this word pop up. And it doesn't just capture forgiveness. It captures something 
much greater. Forgiveness is an entry point into something that we see that can be even more powerful. And the word, when you translate it into English, is the word reconcile. What what does that mean? To forgive somebody is amazing. To reconcile with something takes it even to a new level. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness can be one way. You can do something bad to me. You can harm me or my kids in some way. You can hop on a plane, fly to Russia. I may never see you again. I can still forgive you. I can still mentally say, you don't owe me. Forgiveness can be one direction. But when our anger and our bitterness starts to drop, the potential is there to reconcile. The potential comes in to say, this isn't just one way. To reconcile means it goes two directions. And we might actually have a future. You know why this matters so much? Some of us have heard, and you know this, hopefully you've heard that Jesus forgives us of our sins. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins. Jesus wants to reconcile with you. Jesus wants it to be two ways. Why Jesus wants a future with you? Man, you guys, as we enter into Christmas time, it would be amazing. It would be a miracle. It would be so beautiful. It would be so Jesus, right, to enter into Christmas time and actually forgive someone. But to enter into Christmas time and to reconcile with God is the greatest thing of all, and it doesn't last a short time. That lasts forever. To reconcile with our God. Why? Because he wants a future with you. Man, you think about that little baby that grew up, lived, and was nailed to a cross. All the anger, all the bitterness, all the ways in which we have actually betrayed God, all the sin that we do back toward him to ruin our relationship with him and other people, all of that, Jesus hanging on a cross looks there and with those arms spread wide and nails through his hands, looks at you and says, you don't owe me. You don't owe me. Man, what if we responded to that this Christmas? Here's what I want to do. I'm hoping and praying that today's a day where maybe we start to unlock the shackles on our ankles. And so I want, I want you to do something. This is going to take a lot of bravery. I, when you came in this room, I hope that you were given a card. You should have been given a little card with an envelope too. I want you to take that out right now. I want you to look at that card and I want you to do one of two things here in the next couple minutes. Would you be willing, as you talk to God, to write someone's name at the top of that card that you know that you need to forgive, that you know you need to say, you don't owe me to? Would you be willing to write their name? Maybe God prompts you, maybe even you start writing a letter to them, but but maybe it's just the name to start, okay? Or maybe, maybe the name you need to write at the top of that card is just, you need to write God. 
Maybe you need to start a letter with God today to say, I've been, I've been far away from you and it's time to reconcile with you. And God, I'm going to write you a letter today. I'm going to start that today. Guys, it take incredible bravery. But man, there is nothing more beautiful and nothing more Jesus-centered than to take those chains off your ankles and let God start to transform you this Christmas when you are able to say to somebody, you don't owe me. So we're going to have Becky sing a song here. And it's all about us laying our lives down and kind of surrendering this kind of stuff to God. She's going to sing this. And I pray you'll take it out and do it. So God, we want to lift this time to you. This is is like sacred time here. That could be the beginning of a pathway to doing, uh, mending something that has needed to be mended for so long. Something that we have lived with. I pray for courage, Lord. This is so much easier talked about than done. I pray that you would begin to move us to a place where we could make a choice to say, you don't owe me. So God, do that. In Jesus' name, amen.